For those who don't know me, my name's Adam Richards. I'm married to Trudy. I have four children and I do the work over at the university and it's my great privilege to come here and open up God's word to you this morning and I'll be praying that God will be doing that and working in our hearts uh, to change and conform us to the image of Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the rich blessings of bringing us here this morning. We thank you for gathering us as your people. We do pray, Father, this morning, as we hear you speak to us, that by your Spirit you'll conform our hearts and our minds, that we might live to the praise and glory of the image of Christ, bringing us a sense of repentance. Help us to know that we need to change and to be conformed to Christ's image. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm not the best type of person who prepares for things. And so what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is I'm going to get you to do some work. I know that's not normally how you start a sermon, but I'm going to ask you to do some work for me, to actually help me prepare. And what I want to do, I'm going to throw some images up on the screen. Well, I'm not going to do it. The person over there is. Uh, They're going to throw some images up on the screen. And I want to say um, these are not especially the first one about political leanings left or right. This is what you would do, and please keep your responses at PG level. So the first one, coming up. How would you prepare for the Prime Minister of Australia? So imagine if that's any person. How would you prepare for the Prime Minister if he was to come to your house? Uh, Don't say, get out the illegal guns. Uh, Jim. Okay. Well, okay. That makes me look excited about going over for a prayer meeting. Anyway, <laughs> how else will we prepare? Come on. Mow the, lawn. mow the lawn. Thank you, Michael. You'd mow the lawn. Not many out there to do at the moment. But anyway, keep on going. Come on. Yes, Judy. You cook something. Not poisonous. Ah, it's cook something. What would you cook? Oh, a cake. Okay. Is it chocolate or butter cake with strawberries and cream and I'm there. Uh, Anything else? Come on. Cook. Yep. Oh, you'd have something to talk about. Wow. Okay. Should you probably do that? Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Read up about policies. Have something prepared to talk about. They're all really good ways of actually responding to the Prime Minister coming. Okay, next one, please. I had to put the name on this one because when I did this sermon the first time, they were thinking I was talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so I was getting responses instead of the Terminator. So how would you respond for the Terminator to come? Dig a hole. Dig a hole. Run. Yeah, that was what I was thinking. Find Sarah Goddard. Sarah Goddard. Yeah, Michael. Buy a dog. That was my response. I was thought, buy a dog. At least I'd know it was the Terminator. Anybody else? My other one was buy one of those compacting machines that did him in the end because that would be useful. Anything else? Lock my door. Lock my door. But you see the way, remember, sorry, going back to the movie. Did you see the way he chained the door and he just pushed through? He was too tough for that. But anyway, good idea. Put bars on the door. And, bear pardon? You didn't see the movie? Wisest person in the room. 
<laughs> Wisest person in the room. Don't go see the movie. All right. Next. How would you prepare for a horde of toddlers? Or kids club coming up. <laughs> Barricades. Similar to the Terminator, wouldn't it? Buy a dog. Buy a dog. Yeah, poodles don't count. What? Yep. Remove any small objects Remove it. He's been to uh, working with children checks. <laughs> Jim. Recruit more kids leaders. Uh, anybody else? Yep. Yeah, leave the house. Why, why would you clean? I actually love this kid because he, he looks like he's just made a mess and gone, yeah, this hasn't worked out the way I was expecting. <laughs> but it's pretty much, it's just, oh, I love that picture. It's just awesome. That's basically my house after my older kids go through it. So any, any other? Yep. Safety locks. There's a wise suggestion, safety locks. Okay, final one, final picture. How would you prepare for this? Actually, I've got to be honest, Judith. The one thing you don't need after this happens is a hole. <laughs> Stand behind the Terminator. <laughs> Stand behind the Terminator. Somebody actually said, in reference to another movie, buy a fridge. <laughs> Which I just loved. I thought that was a great response. If you've seen Indiana Jones and the... La what is it? Kingdom and Crystal Skull. You want to get that reference. Yes. Dude, dude, have you got the Pacific Ocean in your back pocket? Otherwise, you, you, that's not going to really help. Be pardon? Unfortunately, there's a lot of those as well. <laughs> yeah. Anyone last? Any final responses? Yep. Oh, come on. Sell your house and take a trip to Mars. You can probably put your house on top of that and get to Mars. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think this one is just pray because you're about to meet Jesus anyway. So, that's it. Thanks, God. Just turn it off. All right. As you look at all those pictures, the idea was pretty simple. You would prepare for something you knew was going to happen. In each of those cases, if you saw something big or somebody important was coming to your house or coming to your uh, your neighbourhood, you would get ready. You would prepare. And it's an easy concept to get. We prepare for big events in our life. We prepare when important things are about to happen. But how would you prepare for the most important event? How would you prepare for the most important person in history? And more importantly, how would you know that the most important person in history is about to come to your place? These are really important questions because as we look at the start of Mark's gospel, what Mark is telling us is how God has prepared for the most important person and the most important event in the history of humanity. And as we read Mark's gospel, it teaches us how we need to prepare for this coming king, how we are to prepare and recognise this most important person in history. And it calls on us to get ready. And the question is, all right, we know we've got an important king coming. 
How do we get ready? How do we prepare for the most important event, the most important person in history? Now, just for some context, and you do need some context because this is a first of what would be, a, what for me is a long series, but for what you, uh, it's just a one-off, but you do need some context into this passage. And the important thing to actually understand in terms of Mark's gospel is actually preparing for what the people of Israel, Israel were thinking at the time. And the people of Israel were expecting a king. They were expecting God to send this great king. But they are a nation under oppression at this time. The Romans are in charge of the whole known world and they are looking for their king, a saviour, a messiah. And all the word messiah means is great king. They're looking for a great king for God who will deliver them from what they see is their greatest enemy, the Romans. They're being oppressed. They're feeling the taxation of the Roman Empire and they're feeling we want somebody to come and save us. We want someone to come and deliver us from this occupier. And then we start the gospel. And this is what the gospel, how the gospel starts. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. The gospel opens with those news, with the news of it is a good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now we go, okay, that sounds really interesting. We've all heard about the gospel and we've all heard words about the gospel. But actually, when we hear the word gospel, we're very quick to overflow. We're quick to go on and go, okay, this is just some, we know it means good news. But we need to actually think back to the way they would have heard the message. See, the words good news is not just uh, a uh, throwaway line. It's just not, oh, I've got some good news for you. Uh, I'm here and I'm going to give you a chocolate cake today. Now, good news is a technical term. And actually, this wasn't the only gospel that was in the Roman world. They had lots of gospels. Gospel actually means good news from a king. And so they would, a king, when he went to war, he would send out a gospel. And his gospel would be, good news. The Roman Empire has defeated the Franks, the French, which would be good news. They de defeated the Franks. Celebrate. Oh, and by the way, your taxes are going up to pay for the war. Good news. That was a gospel message. And so a gospel message was a proclamation, not just from any citizen, it was a proclamation from a king. And it was telling you what the king was saying was important, something that you needed to respond to. And usually the case was there were the taxes. But when Mark is using it, he is using it so that we know that there is a new king in town. There is a new celebrating message that is about to go out amongst the world. And we see that this good news, this kingdom proclamation is about Jesus Christ. And then we are also told some additional information that this Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And again, we go, oh, okay, we've heard that many times. But this is actually a reference back to the Old Testament. And it's a reference to Psalm 2. 
And in Psalm 2, if you read it, I'm not going to go through the passage now. In Psalm 2, Psalm 2 was a coronation psalm. And in the psalm, what they would do is the king of Israel would go to Jerusalem, he would be anointed a king, and then he would be told that he would be the son of God and that he would rule over all the world. So in this very first line about this gospel, this kingdom proclamation about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we are told very, two very important facts. We are told, A, that he is a king, but that he is Israel's king and that he is meant to rule the whole world. And so Israel's gone, great, we have a king who's coming and they're supposed to go, great, a king who's going to defeat our enemies, rule the world. And so then Mark plunges on into the rest of the gospel, reading from verse 2. And this is really where the gospel teaches us how to identify this king and who he's going to defeat. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. This section really tells you how God has prepared the world for the coming of his new king. And to understand this, we need to understand the message that this preparing one gives. And we see the preparing one is John the Baptist. And we see that in his baptism, that is how he's preparing people. And he is introduced to us through the lens of the Old Testament. And this is very important as it connects for us what God is doing in Jesus to what God had been doing beforehand. And one of the big arguments against the Bible is that, and I often hear this on campus from people, well, the Bible, it's just written by men. It's just made up by people. We don't need to listen to that. And there is a truth to that argument. The Bible is written down by men. But what it fails to realise is that the Bible is one story, one book, giving a continuous story explaining the preparation for the coming king. That's its real strength. It tells one story and it locates it in one person. And we see that John is tapping into that story to actually tell us who this king is. And his message really has two parts in this sense. And the first part is that he is baptising people in the Jordan. Now, we might think, well, the baptising part, that's the important part that's going on here. But that is not the case. The most important aspect of John isn't the baptism that he's doing it, but it's the place where he is baptising people. And that is, he is baptising them in the Jordan. Why is that important? Well, again, we need to understand our Old Testaments. 
And what we need to actually understand is in the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Bible, we see that God delivered Israel from a tyrant, from a harsh king. He delivered them from Pharaoh. He delivered them from Egypt. They were crying out for somebody to save them. And God sent Moses, who delivered, Egypt, uh, delivered Israel out of Egypt. And when he did, he took them out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness for 40 years. And instead of going up through the south, can you press the map? Instead of going up through the south, what he did after the 40 years is he led them down below the Dead Sea around to the Jordan River and they came into the promised land from the east. What you have here is that John is baptising people at the Jordan River again. And what he is saying, in a sense, with baptising them at the Jordan River is God is about to deliver on his promises. God is about to bring his people into the promised land. It's a recapitulation of that Exodus story. It is preparing people for a saviour to come. And the second thing that he does, you can get rid of that now, thanks. And the second thing that he does is, and this is the import, another important thing, is that what he is preaching. He is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. See, when I hear the words baptism, what do I automatically think? Where's the water? I'm going to do some dunking. But that's not what he's doing. He's preaching baptism. What does it mean? the word baptism actually mean? It just means to immerse something. It just means to put something in water. But John is actually not saying, I'll baptise and you need to be immersed in water. He's preaching a baptism of repentance, an immersion of repentance. When we think of repentance, we think of it as a religious word. We think, oh, that just happens in the church. Again, it's not a religious word. Repentance just means to turn around. If I walk to that door and said, I need to repent, I could walk, I'd turn around from that door and come back up here. It just means to change direction. God repents in the Bible. He stops moving in one direction. He turns back and goes another way. I could walk to the door, repent from walking to the door, and then come back. The important thing to understand about repentance is the point from which you are repenting from, because that will tell you what is important about repentance? Now, walking to the door, who cares? But walking away from your sin, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, turning away from your sin. John is saying people need to prepare for the coming of the king by immersing their lives in repentance. And stop living for themselves. Stop living for their kingdoms. They need to turn around and prepare for God's king. They need to get ready and actually admit they are wrong. Most Christians don't actually understand why repentance is really hard because they don't actually understand what is the first step of repentance. 
Repentance is hard. Repentance is very hard. Why is that? Because repentance requires you admitting one thing that we all hate to admit. You are wrong. You are wrong. And when it comes to God, which is the repentance we need to turn from, what God is saying to us, you are wrong and you are wrong in the most spectacular fashion that you could be possible. You are wrong when it comes to the way you think about God. It's not a message people love to hear. They don't like hearing that in terms of God, they've got it dead wrong. At university campus, millions of times, people come up to me and I say, you're wrong, you need to change. How dare you say that? God loves me the way I am. If God loved people the way they are, there would be no need for a cross. Not required. God loves you. Yes, but not the way you are. But the way he wants you to be. That is why repentance is so hard. Because it has to deal with our hearts. We have to admit we are wrong. And wrong spectacularly. Which leads to the second part. Admitting that we are wrong is so hard. How are we going to do that? How are we going to actually come to the point where we have got it spectacularly wrong with God and know that we need to change? Well, it has to do with the second part of John's message where he explains who, he, who it is who is going to actually change us and that is the Holy Spirit. And that was the message that he comes in the second part. After me, verse 7, after me comes one, comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. See, this has to do with the coming king and the power that he is going to bring to allow us to change. And that is, it is the Holy Spirit working in us that changes us. And why must he come with the Holy Spirit? Because what does water baptism actually make you? Wet. That's what water baptism makes you. It just makes you wet. It's great for cooling down on a summer's day and not much else really. What we need is to be immersed in a real power that can actually affect change. And that is the Holy Spirit. And so we need someone who has the Holy Spirit in them. Someone who can give us the Holy Spirit, which will give us the power to want to change and to affect change in our lives. And we need someone who has that Spirit absolutely immersed in them. And so we read from verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my Son, 
whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once this spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels that attended him. It is at this point in the gospel we meet Jesus. And the first thing we see about Jesus is that he is baptised. And his baptism has to do with identifying with us. He baptises and is baptised because he is identifying with our need to be made new, to be changed. And as he is baptised, the heavens are torn open and the spirit comes down and it's very uh, creation-like. It comes down and it descends on him. And he hears a voice and the father speaks to him. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And again, this is a a reference back to the Old Testament. And he's picking up two ideas. The first is a pickup on the psalm. Two, talking about the powerful king, the ruler of the world. But the second is a quote from Isaiah. And in the quote, it talks about the suffering servant who was going to come and die to take the penalty for sin off our shoulders. See, our problem is sin. Our enemy is not political. It's not the prime minister. Our problem is that we've said to God, hey God, we know better than you. We're smarter than you. We understand the world better than you and we're going to live our way. God's gone, yeah, sure. You go ahead, have fun. Are you kidding yourself? God is angry at our sin. God is angry at our rebellious nature. God just doesn't go, oh, sure, do what you want. But God loves us so much that he sent his son to pay the price that we deserve. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us grace. He gives us his son to take the penalty for our sin. And he says to us, repent. Repent. And that's the message Jesus gives. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, at the start of this sermon, I asked you two questions, really. Who is the most important... What, well, who is the most important person in history? Jesus Christ. How do you prepare for the most important person? Repent. Admit you are wrong. Admit you have not met God's standards. I haven't met God's standards. I don't come up here as a righteous or great man. I desperately need forgiveness. I desperately need to admit I have got it wrong and boy have I got it wrong spectacularly at times. But for the grace of God who sent his son to die in my place for my sins, 
I have been forgiven. But how do you prepare? You need to be immersed in repentance. It's the same message. Why didn't Israel see their king? The reason Israel didn't see their king is because the enemy they saw was the Romans. They said the Romans are our greatest enemy and that's who God needs to defeat. Your greatest enemy isn't a political power. It isn't your boss or your neighbour. or Your greatest enemy is with you every time and that is you. It is your sin. It is holding you out of a relationship with God if you do not trust in Jesus. And you need to repent. You need to be immersed in repentance. Even as a Christian, and you have accepted, and I know I am hoping and I pray, and I know most of you who are Christian, but you go, well, I'm a Christian. Thanks for this great news. No. There is not a person here where there is not aspects of their lives they don't need to repent. I was watching a YouTube video oh, last week, and this was when I was preparing this sermon two weeks ago. I was watching this YouTube video on money. And it, it, was, it was just, oh, yeah, this will be interesting. And as I'm watching this video, I came to realise that my view of money is so informed by the world and so informed by its understanding that actually I was living out of step with God's word and that I needed to change in my view of money. I wasn't even expecting it. And I need to actually real change my views of the way I think about money. What aspects of your lives do you need to repent of? Do you need to change in? Is it something to do with your home life? Is there a neighbour that you've actually been angry with or a friend or work colleague? Do you have wrong attitudes to money? Do you have wrong attitudes to your time? You need to work through your life because you need to submit them to the kingship of Lord Jesus. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near, he's not talking about, well, you know, the time has come. He's talking about the kingdom of God has come in the person of the King Jesus. He is here. The kingdom of God is in the world. We need to change and submit every aspect of our lives to his rule. Which part is of your life? Are you holding on to? I'll give you the forgiveness of sins, Jesus, but I'll just take care of the bank balance. Thank you very much. Done that. We need to be immersed in repentance ourselves, friends. You might be a Christian. You might have been a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. There will be aspects in your life that you need to repent of. It's the same for all of us. Now, at the start of this sermon, I asked, how would you prepare for these people? Some of them were funny. Some of them were terrifying in terms of toddlers. But the reality is, how would you prepare for the most important person in history? God. And we've been given the answer today. 
we need to be immersed in repentance. That is how you prepare. Leave you with this and leave you with Jesus' words. The time has come, friends. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the rich blessings you give us in Christ. We do thank you that though we are sinful, though we have failed to live up to your standards time and time again, through the grace of your Son, you died to forgive us our sins. But we pray, Father, and we ask today for the power of your Holy Spirit for us to admit that we need to repent, that we need to change and allow Jesus to be King in our lives. We, we are sorry where we have failed to do that and we know we have failed to do that. And we know that in your great mercy, you have given us forgiveness in Jesus, but also now give us that desire to submit every aspect of our lives to Jesus as King. We ask this for his sake and for his glory to show just how wonderful, just how powerful, just how merciful you are in your son. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.